0: Hello and welcome to another episode of The Formation Podcast. This is episode number nine, and we have finally gotten to the point where there is so much football for us to digest on this week's show. Um, I am George, and today I'm joined by... Harry. Sam. Devin. Yep, there we go. If you're a regular listener or watcher, you probably know that by now, but if this is your first time... There you go. And we'll have our Twitter handles there as well. Um, Please give us a follow. Also follow us on at the underscore formation whenever a podcast goes out and you'll be able to find us on there. But we've got a lot to discuss today. We've had a load of games going on last week. Project Restart is underway and then we'll have a little look ahead and a bit of news as well. Neil Warnock is back in football. More on that later. We're going to start by looking back at last week and discussing our thoughts. So, last Friday night—that was Friday, the Friday the nineteenth—was it? Um, Norwich played Southampton, but the game we all want to talk about is Spurs against Man United. Um, uh, <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm kidding. We're, we should we should mention Norwich Southampton, um, Harry. <laughs> Oh, George, take it away. <laughs> how how pleased were you with um with how your team played on Friday?
1: The first the first fifteen minutes is a bit concerning due to the fact that we we just couldn't get out of our own half. You pressed off really really high. We couldn't get out. I think we gave away a couple of poor set pieces. But as soon as the second half kicked off we seem to have more energy. And I think the big problem was that Norwich tried to play out the back quite a lot and that suits our sort of pressing style. And we got a lot of chances, despite the fact we didn't score from any of them. A lot of our chances came from you trying to pass out the back and that sort of gave us the edge in the game to start with. And then in the second half, we kicked on and we uh, were able to get three three good
0: goals. Yeah, um, I, th- I think you've got it bang on there with the the Way that Southampton pressed, it was exactly the right way to play against Norwich. Um, I That's also that thought say again, say it without yeah.
2: <laughs> <That's laughs> that... crying. <laughs>
0: um, I also thought that, um, that Saints looked a lot sharper. I don't know whether that was the case, but I thought towards the end, especially for that third goal, Redmond went through and all he had to do was just put it one way and the defence was totally out of the way, um, which was embarrassing, to be honest. And Norwich um, struggled going forward too. They've now failed to score in six of their last nine league games. I know eight of those were obviously months ago, but it's still a worrying trend. Um, I'm not going to answer this question myself because <laughs> I don't really want to Devon, um, it's... Really pretty much curtains for Norwich now, isn't it?
2: Yeah, I think pretty much. I think even when you were talking about it afterwards, when we were on about, um, you know, the Peeler reports and stuff like that, is that even I could tell him like, that you might have been resigned to the drop. Um, I think there were asked many aspects to that game of a potential that Norwich could have been, you know, great passing play, some, you know, this. Uh, you know several players that are good enough to be in a strong Premier League side it was just the frailties at the back and going forward I mean everyone's been off the boil and Pookie certainly looked very uh, rusty um yeah in the second half just I, I don't know what happened he just dragged it it was going wide anyway Tucker went out for a call. Um, I think the only player that looked sharp was Tim Krul. Made two very good saves, and again, that's been a trend all season, hasn't it? Where Tim Krul's really got you out of the gutter. Um, but overall, I, I was quite impressed with how Southampton. You know, after initially riding the storm of that first 10-15 minutes, where Norwich were on, and Dermage had that chance that. They looked good. They played some good football, and in the end, they were just running rings around Norwich. They, the The three goals were quite fortunate. Some of them bubbled into you know, like bubbled into Ings and, um, you know, Armstrong and Redmond. Even though it was good, you know, technical ability on the ball, Norwich did back off too easily and allowed that space. And once you do that, you're you're looking for a beating anyway.
0: Yeah, it does look as as much as I do enjoy saying it. It does look like. Norwich going to be resigned to the championship again, but we should say um, we'll obviously get onto this in a minute. The results at the weekend did kind of go their way. They obviously, it's obviously out of their hands, but they play Everton. They will have played Everton by the time this goes out. So maybe by that point, but to be honest, the chances of them beating Everton based on Friday night look pretty slim. Um, Southampton now 23 points away from home this season, which is the fourth best record in the league. Surely, Harry, now you can start looking up the table rather than down. I hope so,
1: to be fair. I think that away form is due to the fact that our home fans are slightly toxic if anything ever goes against them. So I'm not surprised we've got such a good record away from home. But yeah, I think for me, I still want one more point just to guarantee that Just to guarantee that safety, I think 38 points is the absolute guarantee. But I think we're just a few points off of possible Europe. So for me, just end the season brightly and give give confidence to the fans to the back from the back of the next season to start. Sorry, the back of this season to start next season.
0: Well, you're playing Arsenal on Thursday, easy win. (laughs) That should be a win. I
2: hope so. (laughs) Arsenal Arsenal are away from the
0: really.
3: Yeah. It's gold.
0: Later on the Friday night was Spurs against Man United. Um a big discussion we had on last week's podcast was about Paul Pogba's return and Sam. Were you impressed with his influence off the bench?
3: Very much so. Very much so. He was he was brilliant for them. I think when when Ollie introduced him and Mason Greenwood in the second half, it really turned the game around. Obviously, that you played that amazing pass to Marcus Rashford on the half volley, just so good. And then obviously you won the penalty for Bruno Fernandez to convert. So, like I said, I think a lot of I said before, man, a lot of Manchester United fans are talking about how him and Bruno would link up. And from what we see, and I know it was only half an hour, but from what we've seen already, they look they look like a really good duo.
2: Yeah, I can't believe Sam last week definitely said that they wouldn't work together, and it definitely (laughs) (laughs) wasn't. Um, despite my comments, I do agree that Pogba and uh Fernandez complimented themselves at each other much, much more expressively. As as Pogba got on on the ball more, more, yeah, that we'd seen you know when he was over there, so that was just terrible sentence <laughs> but it, we did get flashes of his old brilliance and you know maybe this layoff has done him good to get fully fit and you know now man united can build that midfield around them too you know maybe get a better set uh, defensive you know stalwart there um, and build a good team because their front three is electric the midfield is well balanced if they get that defence uh, defensive midfielder in and it's just the defence that they need to sort out. And also, one player in particular, David de Gea's future. There was a lot of questions being asked. Roy Keane had some words to say about uh, him. Uh, what was your thoughts on his performance?
0: Um, you mentioned the Roy Keane comments. <laughs> I think I think he was he was right to criticise, but he maybe got a little bit too passionate um, about it. You know. <laughs> There's Just no threat. <laughs> it, it, it was only
2: 1 0, wasn't it? Like,
3: yeah, he only said he'd fight him. I mean,
2: I think Dean Henderson. Uh, that's quite it. Yeah, Roger Keane's book.
0: <laughs> after the season Dean Henderson has had, I think um, really he will be eyeing that spot up next year, potentially, depending on how Sheffield United do. But I don't think Solskjaer is likely to want to. Hand him out to Sheffield
3: mm. United again. Uh, uh, yeah, it's t- it's tough that the, the treatment that Day has had recently, considering how how good he's been for United in some of their worst periods. I mean, he was it like back to back Player of the Years that he won just mm. a couple of years ago. So mm. it's really tough on him. I think that he's getting all this criticism over a couple of mistakes. But like you say with with Dean Henderson uh, joint top in the clean sheet golden glove race, then. He's definitely knocking on the door of the Manchester United number one spot.
0: Yeah, we should mention Spurs as well. Since the draw against Man United, they have beaten West Ham at home. Um, So that's four points from their first two. Harry, do you think they've got maybe an outside chance of still qualifying for the Champions League or not?
1: I think so. I think the break has really helped them with Steve Bergwijn coming back. Hugh Sons come back, Harry Kane's come back and I've been impressed, you know, Mourinho's been known as quite a defensive coach, but before, when, when Tottenham scored before that point, they were quite attacking against West Ham, I know it's only against West Ham because they sat back and with two banks of four, but they attacked then as well, I think when they need to, they, they are a very, very good attacking side, they've got an outside chance, do I think so? I think they've given themselves a bit too much to do, I think a couple of poor results before the break didn't, didn't help them at all but I think they've 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 definitely got a chance because I think they're playing good football. They've got a, a solid squad as well.
2: So I think there's, they've got an outside chance. Will they? I'm not too sure. I'd like to contrary that, contrary that because um, I think West Ham, for large periods of that game, looked a lot better on the ball. Um, they just couldn't find that end product. Uh, I don't know if that was just looking on blue-tinted because Mikel Antonio were up front. But... Um, <laughs> I, I I think West Ham had a lot of more had more of an encouraging performance. They just liked mm. that kind of clinicalness, and you know the Zabaleta uh, his own mm. goal kind of epitomizes uh, epitomized West Ham's bad luck recently. Um, um, on the on the post side, especially for you know like England fans and fans of the Premier League, Carrie Kane looked a lot sharper than he has. Um, obviously, coming back after a long period out. Um, but you know, his goal hopefully might kick start his season again.
3: It's it's weird how the league shaped up this year because I think before the West Ham game they were level on points at Crystal Palace. And they were they were still talking about just avoiding relegation. So if if you're putting Spurs in that race you've got to throw Palace in there as well, maybe.
0: In episode eight we spoke a fair bit about Arsenal's woes in their defeat against Man City but you'd have to say they continued on to the weekend they played Brighton and lost it in the last minute 2-1 Leno was injured Um, we do think that the injury is not maybe as bad as first feared but um, Devon how did Arsenal pick themselves
2: up such a terrible start to the restart um I don't even think a resuscitator is restart Arsenal's season at the minute. They they just look they look shot of confidence. They look so poor. And again, like I said last week, it just looks like a team of passengers at the minute. There's no one really taking responsibility in, in that side. Um, the only responsibility shown is when David Luiz came out and apologised against Man City. Um, Brighton, as we argued last week or the week before in the preview, they played some good football again. Um uh, but there you know again, um some negatives came out about Brighton, mainly about their kind of vigorous play, uh Maupai in particular, who also questioned Arsenal's humility. Um that was quite a shock. We haven't seen that kind of bite in the Premier League since Luis Suarez, which I, I kind of like. It's kind of <laughs> like old football. No, nice. not literally. I mean that. <laughs> But, uh, see, I just know puns off my head there like that. But, um, yeah, I think Arsenal are going to pour and they're really in a rut. Um, and they just need... They, they'll be hoping the season gets done very quickly because, they, I mean, at the minute, they're, they're looking down, not up.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned Brighton as well. Since the Arsenal game, again, um, they drew nil-nil with Leicester. It could have been a win, but four points from their first two has really pulled them away from the pack at the bottom. Um, So, Graham Potter must be delighted with that, Sam.
3: Yeah, I think so. I mean, that win against Arsenal was their first in the calendar year. So, they really needed a good start but they've definitely got the hardest run out of everyone down there. So they need every point they can get in this run. So yeah, it's been a really positive start for them. Obviously they could have won that game against Leicester if Neil Malpear had converted that penalty. It was a terrible penalty, but yeah, good start for Brighton.
0: And that game was one of four on Saturday. Um, In the other games, Watford battled back against Leicester to earn a draw. That was quite some finish at Vicarage Road. West Ham were beaten at home by Wolves after their first two. They've still got zero points. But I think we should maybe talk about Bournemouth on Saturday evening, who are in that bottom three, they played against Crystal Palace, which on paper is a game that they thought they had to win. And Harry, they looked really uninspiring, didn't they?
1: Yeah, you'd hope, if you're a Bournemouth fan, to come back from the break, you know, inspired. But I think I was listening to a Bournemouth podcast a few days ago. Uh, yesterday it was. And I think Eddie Howe was sort of feeling that this, because of they've had three months off and there's, there's so much build-up towards this game, they sort of just bottled the game. It's a game that they could be winning. I, and to be honest, I tip them to stay up before the end of the season because they have got the quality in the squad. But they just they didn't ins- they didn't inspire to be honest with you and now with Ryan Fraser not going to play another game he hasn't been that great this season but he's still their most creative player I believe in terms of chances created it really, it really doesn't it really doesn't look good because I, they didn't create any sort of meaningful chance uh, I know Crystal Palace are good I'm pretty sure that's their fourth win in a row where they've not conceded as well so Palace are on a good run of form despite, despite the massive break obviously but it's a game they would have saw seen sorry as winnable and they didn't get a touch
2: yeah, I think I watched slight, not much of the game, but the periods that I watched, there were only really David Brooks who would have been a welcomed, um, welcomed returnee from injury, um, and even like them, you know, they looked towards the more attacking players rather than Brooks up front, and they just never seemed to get a look in. I think Palace hit them early, and then once them um, two goals go in, the confidence was shot. and you know, maybe maybe if Palace only on then um, Bournemouth would have been more enti- uh, more um confident to go forward and maybe get back into it. But as soon as that second one in, went in, I think they would just shot all confidence.
3: Yeah, I and um, go on, Sam. I, I was just going to say, I think Palace have really flown under the radar this season. Like Harry mentioned already, they've been really solid. And they've had a couple of great individual performers. The goal scorers, Milivojevic and Jordan Ayew, they've been brilliant this season. Where Zaha has been Not so great, but he's the team roundings picked him up, so I think they're they're really in contention. Like I already mentioned, for
2: a, for a European spot. Sam, yeah. do you think? next... Oh, sorry, Josh. Go on. I was Sam. Uh, think if if Zaha could actually pick himself up and stop dwelling on the the past moves that when he were linked to Arsenal and that. Do you think if he got into some kind of form, Crystal Palace next season without front three and um. And the creative player behind it. They could do something next year.
3: I mean, we've seen in previous seasons how good Zaha can be. So yeah, why not? I think they could be Roy Hodgen's got made them a really solid team like I already mentioned. So if they if they if Zaha comes back to its best form they've got that X factor up top again. And they can they could be a really consistent, you know, European finishing team.
0: And if we move on to Sunday now, and I'm going to hand over to our resident Sheffield Wednesday fans (laughs) to talk us through how how the break
2: went on. Devon? Um, I I didn't catch the last end of that. Sorry, but I assumed you were talking. I just said I'd I'd hand it over to you to tell us what happened at St James's Park. Uh, For the first half, it was kind of a non-starter. I don't think either team got a real grasp of the game um, and I think if anyone I'd have to argue Sheffield United were probably keeping the ball better but Newcastle got forward especially in that first 10 minutes when Joe Linton got forward and I, I think it was in the end it was a good clearance or a pass back to the goalkeeper instead of a shot I think that just epitomised his last 28 games in between scoring from Spurs and um, scoring today so uh, sc- scoring on Sunday and um, Sheffield United were kind of th- their fault that they 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 um, lost that game. Egan again, he's had a difficult start to restart with uh, Keenan Davis running in ragged against uh, Aston Villa uh, on Wednesday uh, last week, uh, and also um, he got sent off for the two dragbacks on Jolinton, who did um, cause a lot of problems up front with his uh, with his strength. And then the opening goal as well is something that we've not seen from Sheffield United all season. Uh, Stevenson, uh, Stevens completely missing the kicking the ball, and um, Saint Maximin, who had a fantastic game, um, uh, put it in, in the near post, which arguably Dean Henderson could have saved. But um, again, it's it's one of them where the sharpness is completely out the window, and then from there Newcastle just took the game by the scruff of the neck. Richie scored a fantastic goal. And then Joel Linton got his uh, maiden Premier League uh, home goal. Um, his second in 30 games, which I'm sure it'll be a massive release for him and Steve Bruce.
0: Yeah, I think the uh, the Geordie Nation, as a football manager YouTuber refers to them as... Um, I think your nation will have been dancing in the streets. Um, that Joe Linton goal, like you say, hasn't scored since August last year. Um, so he will be pretty chuffed with that, as will Steve Bruce. Um, and you mentioned there, Devon, a tough start to the year for the Blades. Do you think they've maybe changed something in the way they play, which has gone wrong? Or do you think just a bit of misfortune, like we saw last week with the goal line technology
2: failing? Um there's definitely been a change to the way they play. I think they hold the ball more than they used to. They used to get, you know, direct and get forward which I thought because against Aston Villa when they did hold the ball I thought that might be due to, you know, Sanderberg playing instead of uh John Fleck and we know how direct Fleck likes to be. Um but even when Fleck were reintroduced they still was holding onto the ball too long. They I think they kind of shifted into a new style of play. Um, whether that's just because of the opponents being Aston Villa and Newcastle, that they you know they want to hold the ball, they want to restrict Newcastle and Aston Villa from playing, which uh, at large parts they just didn't have the capabilities of doing that. Whether we'll see uh, tonight, obviously a disclaimer that we're recording this on Wednesday, so we won't see tonight's results. But they play Manchester United, so whether they go back to that you know, keeping it compact and then going forward with the overlapping centre halves and really hit Man United like they did at Bremer Lane in that three three draw. Um I, I just think that because they've changed the style, it's kinda knocked of the confidence and momentum and whether that was intentional or just because of the restart and no crowd, especially with you know like with how um vigorous that that style of play is, if you've got the home support or the away fans backing you, it just pushes you that extra little bit. So whether that uh, whether they have a home advantage or even though they've been away twice or so the, the, the backing from the shore boys um has you know really limited to their play uh, I'm not sure.
0: Yeah and later on on Sunday it was Villa against Chelsea. Chelsea came behind came from behind to win this one. Um it was a pretty good turnaround Pulisic and Giroud getting the goals, so Chelsea have now got a bit of breathing space in that top four. But I think we should probably talk about Villa, who, although they went in front, they were barely a threat going forward. Grealish was very quiet. Keenan Davis, who had caused so many problems against Sheffield United, was pretty isolated up front. Um, Harry, how worrying is this performance for Aston Villa's hopes, even though they were against a strong side in Chelsea? Yeah, I think they just—they haven't shown a lot of attacking intent, and I don't—I don't
1: blame them if they conceded quite a lot this season. Then they're then they're against Chelsea, and I thought they were going to do a really good smash and grab job because you know they went one nil up despite only having thirty percent of the ball and went in about the almost the hour mark without conceding, and then two not defensive lapses but two goals back to back inside about two minutes just destroyed their confidence completely and I, I would be concerned because apart from Jack Grealish they don't really have many positive sparks uh, Keenan Davis is, was good against Sheffield United but he's, he's an isolated figure when they're playing against top six, top eight teams because they don't fancy themselves on the attack because if they get counter attack on their defence it's probably one of the weakest in the Premier League despite the fact they've got England international Tyrone Mings there so for me I, I, I'd be quite Concern, despite they despite the fact they did have a positive game against Sheffield United.
0: Anything to add on Villa? Do we think they're doomed, or have they still got a chance?
3: I mean, going in front doesn't seem to mean much to them at the moment because <laughs> they have now lost five Premier League games to scoring first this season. So, ugh. I mean, we've talked <laughs> about them already that they've you know they've spent a lot of money at the start of the season, but they've spent it on really nothing, and we're seeing that now playing you know. Keenan Davis up top is a youth product instead of the signings they made so I think it doesn't look good for them
2: I think we've seen two different uh, Dean Smith teams here, against Sheffield United they really attacked him and got into Sheffield United's throw and that that style looked better for Villa if they were going to do anything and I think that approach would have worked against Chelsea who again that was their first game. Villa have already got ninety minutes under their belts. If they could go into Chelsea, hit them while they're vulnerable, then maybe that you know that first goal could have turned into two. Instead, they were more conservative and um, really, especially second half. That first when Christian Pulisic came on, um, Villa just sat back and let you know let the fullbacks come forward, and it were obviously asked Billy Quater who put the ball in for Pulisic, and as soon as they let. Chelsea have a little bit of a sniff as we saw, Chelsea just got back into it and much like Frank Lampard's team, um, they they are quite hungry, they go for goals and that's what we saw on Saturday. It's Sunday. Just, to,
3: just yeah. to touch on Chelsea a bit more, like you, you mentioned Pulisic there and Frank Lampard said after the game his performances are going to be crucial in the running, he's playing his first game since New Year's Day. And technically, Pulisic might be playing for a spot in the side next next season with Timo Werner and Hakim Ziyech coming in. It might be tough for him to get in there. Obviously, Olivier Giroud as well. He scored. So for the for Chelsea's attacking players, these these last few games are crucial to make an impression to Frank Lampard that they're good enough to stay.
2: I I was I was impressed with Pulisic when he were at Dortmund, and I was always in for a move when Chelsea did go in. For him, and I think Lampard should trust him because in even in his limited performances, when he's once he settled into England and how the Premier League style of play is, he's kind of adapted himself rather than being um a player that holds onto the ball too long at Dortmund. It is become more fa- like more of a fast style of play, and I think that going forward, I'd rather someone like Pulisic come in rather than Willian and maybe Werner on the left and. Obviously, Pulisic taking that right-hand side. But again, Ziyech, it, it just depends how Lampard sees fit. I, I'd personally start Pulisic because I think he's a very good player. And he still he's only like 24, still got plenty of years. Ziyech is in the prime. I think they'd be good, two good players to learn off. And even then, that front three... We'll all interwind anyway and move positions. So, if that's free, if that if you can get that free flowing um balance right, Chelsea could be a really really good threat next year.
0: And of course, the uh the flagship game for the Premier League's return was at Goodison Park on Sunday evening, it was on free to air television, millions tuned in across the country. Of course, it ended nil nil. Um, Seven of the last eight Premier League Merseyside derbies at Goodison Park have ended in a draw, which is an incredible stat, I think. Um, But it just sums it up. Harry, how disappointed were you with the spectacle that they put on?
1: Yeah, d- disappointed. But if I if I was forced to put a bet on for the scoreline, I'd probably say nil nil because I I might be wrong at this, but I think the last three at Goodison Park have all been nil nil. No, so correct. It's it's been a bit of a, a drab fix. But I think Everton were quite unlucky not to get the win. In all fairness, right right at the back end of the game, they had, uh, Calvert Lewin's flick, good save by Allison, and then it was Tom Davis at the back post who hit the posts. who um, who got unlucky there. But I think for Liverpool, they did massively seem like they were missing out on Robertson because their attack down the left wasn't as promising. Milner can't get up and down the wings as much. Joe Gomez was bright when he came on, but he's not as natural as um, Robertson. Look at the right wing, Minamino didn't really do much. You can't really expect anything from him because he's still a young player that's only played a, a very small amount of minutes. But he was holding a similar position to Firmino and they're sort of holding that same position rather than him staying on the right or someone staying on the right. There was no real outlet and it was only really Mane that was really getting the ball on that side. And he was he was um, silenced by Coleman. So I think 0-0 was probably the fair result, if not maybe a sneaky 1-0 Everson.
3: Uh, Everton were cautious again and for good reason because this derby well, has been the most one-sided derby in the last decade. I mean, Liverpool are now unbeaten in 22 games against Everton that's That's the joint longest run they've had in their history against one club, so i think I think the starbys slightly overrated to be honest as a spectacle mm. in terms of the actual competition and there the the proximity that' really close to each other and the atmosphere and everything but it was a really poor game in general, to be honest
2: George, do you think that if Everton were to get the win, they could have been the very, very outside shout of a European spot.
0: Yeah, I think it, it could have boosted their hopes. I did a preview for their game against Norwich, which, as we said, will have already taken place by the time this goes up. But I said in there that they still have an outside shot now. You never know with the inconsistencies that teams have showed this season. You know, other than Liverpool, every team has had a blip. If Everton can go on a run, then there is always a chance that they can capitalise. And with Ancelotti, um, they don't look like losing many games. So I definitely think they're in with a shot for sure. You've got to trust in Don Carlo. And Don Calvert Lewin. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Liverpool were forced to wait a little bit longer for their title. Um, So they will play Crystal Palace, who, as we said, looked impressive against Bournemouth. That will have already happened by the time this goes up. But Man City, who are Liverpool's closest rivals, they probably know the title's going to Anfield. Guardiola has already admitted it. But Phil Foden, for them, in the Monday night game, played a starring role as they wiped Burnley aside. Devon, how impressive was he?
2: it was fantastic. Uh, all the way through that game, I think I was covering it for Peeler on Twitter anyway, but you could just see the aspects of David Silver and how he moves and how Phil Foden has learnt off him. And I think that, that next season will be Phil Foden's season to shine. And I won't, I'd say it could be an early shout for one of the players of this season. A very early shout. But in terms of how consistent uh, Man City are... um. Phil Foden last uh, on Monday night was instrumental to how they played he linked up the play very well uh two goals obviously uh we were heavily involved in uh Silva's um goal as well um and i think he's just going to be become one of the figures uh, like a Manchester city legend if not already because <laughs> it is just brilliant yeah. to watch um another point that I wanted to bring up was that if the title, if Liverpool hadn't have run away with it beforehand, and it was so it was much tighter at the top. I think we'd have seen a a crumble from Liverpool at the minute because they just we we talked about starting well, and in Manchester City's both opening two games. Obviously, they played that that game in hand against Arsenal. Man City have just got straight onto it, whereas Liverpool really did not. Look, they looked like they were back under Roy Hodgson. They they just looked poor. They kept me. <laughs> Um, whereas Man City, Man City look like they've clearly kept themselves fit over this period. Um, they've been sharp and, you know, if, if it, again, if it were down to the wire, you'd be back in City all the way to catch up to Liverpool and uh, and claim the title off them. But obviously that will happen because in the next three, probably two episodes of the formation, we'll be talking about how Liverpool have lifted the title in front of no fans and, <laughs> and we'll, uh, we'll be able to just get that kind of, that part of the season Curtailed because then we can focus on the European spots and the relegation um, fight.
3: Yeah, just to touch on Phil Foden a bit more. I mean, for a young attacking player, there's there's very few other places you'd you'd want to learn than Manchester City, with with the two Silvers, with Aguero, with Jesus, Mares, all those players. It's one it's one of the best places one of the best places to grow as a player. And with David Silva leaving at the end of the season, then. That starting spot can be his with, you know, with all the games that Man City still have to play this season, with the FA Cup and the Champions League still to play for. Then you can really stake his claim.
2: On the uh, on the flip side to that, then it's probably also one of the hardest teams to get in if you're learning from it anyway, because we've seen, you know, Mares were fantastic, and then you've, they've got Leroy Sarney on the bench. No matter how how many times he's going to get linked away, he's still one of City's probably. Uh, better wingers at the club, I'd say. Um, but again, he's not getting a look in. And especially for young, uh, more young talent, there's only really been Eric Garcia that's come through in the last season or two, apart from Phil Foden. And whether, um, again, there's always that question of do do more players follow in the footsteps of Sancho and leave, or do they stay and City look to build on that young talent? Because, you know, City, no matter how how much City go through their academy, they're always going to look to bring in that £60 million player. Um, And when they've got the capabilities of doing that, I think young players probably don't flourish as much as they should do.
0: Yep, um, that's pretty much all the Premier League games that have taken place up to this point covered. As we said, with the Project Restart, they are cramming as many games in as they can. So over the week until episode 10, there could have been so many changes to that yeah. Premier, League Premier League table. Things, things crossed pitch. Norwich produce a miracle and um, <laughs> beat um, Come on, Norwich. We should move on to the Championship, which also resumed last week, and Leeds, um, who are so close to returning to the Premier League, they've still got work to do, obviously, but they didn't get off to a very good start, Devon. They didn't play badly, but they went down 2-0 oh. to
2: Cardiff. What did you make of this game? Um, even though, I, uh, like I said, I covered it, the title was Arlie's Le- Falling Apart Again. However, I, I, if I would be Elsa, I'd be encouraged by the style of play um, they played. Again, I've, I feel like I've said this too many times this podcast, but they played <laughs> some good ball. They held the ball uh-huh. They did get into... It Were just as many games in the Championship have been this uh, weekend. It's that final ball. It's that finishing touch. And it seems like all clubs have lost a bit of um, the clinicalness when uh, up front. Um, And again, it was just two bad, bad mistakes that Cardiff punished first time. I mean, the first one, Calvin Phillips, uh, tried to switch the ball, gave it straight to Junior Hoyler. And even though... Even though Phillips was the initial mistake, the more, the mistake was more in that Ben White and Lee, Liam Cooper didn't come and close him down quick enough. They just kind of stood off him and let him, you know, have a shot at um, Meslier in the goal. They were um,
0: social distancing, weren't they?
2: <laughs> massively, I think. I think that was more than two meters. Surely they should have preempted that Boris was going to, you know, relax the meter rule and then maybe they could get a toe on it. Um, <laughs> But still, it, it, there is slight questions that keeper could have got a hand to it as well. It, it, it was a strange dive and didn't really get off the ground either. But uh, by the by, it gets, leads a chance. And even though Bamford defended brilliantly from Jack Harrison, um, uh, <laughs> in the second half, Liam Cooper gave the ball straight to Mendes Lang, who then found Robert Glatzel. and Les. we've got to give his hats off to the finish because it were it were very uh, good from it, uh, uh, And that's not really been very consistent for Cardiff this season.
3: I love those ones that crack off the post, especially with no crowd. You can you can hear it hear it even more. But yeah, to even, fair, yeah. You know,
2: go on. But I'm gonna say, to be fair, even though it hits the post and then back at the net, you can never you'll never miss that. The crowd going, you know, like oh, and then going mental once it's yeah. hit the post and back at the net. The, that that's something you can't replace. But hearing the ball hit the net cleanly is is one of the best sounds ever. <laughs> so you. the point.
3: I was just going to touch on those mistakes again. I just, especially the first one. I just don't, I don't understand what Phillips is doing. Like there's really not much pressure on him. You could just play the simple pass, but he he doesn't take a touch. Plays an off balance pass, and it goes haywire. And it was just a a story of individual mistakes for Leeds. I mean, Bamford standing on the line blocking Jack Harrison's shot. That was another one. So. Just just sloppiness in the key areas from Leeds, who, like you said, played a decent game, but didn't come out with a win. And, I mean, it's typical of them with the, the results the day before going their way, West Brom dropping points, Fulham losing, that they don't capitalise on it.
2: I was going to say the Phillips mistake. Just before that, Phillips were really... I did have um, a grasp on the game. He were pinging balls from uh, from either wing, switching the play, and I think... Once you've got back into that stride, it's easy just to go back to the mindset that you've been playing. You know, we're, we're in the final game week, so you've had thirty games already. That you know you're sharp for, through that, and I think you just forgot that we'd had a three-month break and we'd only had a little few seasons. Because normally, nine times out of ten, if that was in without the break of the coronavirus, and that was the game after Lees's last. I think that had just been executed perfectly to the right back. Whereas now it's been a bit of a, you know, you just, your brain's a bit, you know, it's going to be more fatigued and it's just forgot, basically.
0: <laughs> yeah. And Sam, you mentioned the results near the top, probably going Leeds' way. West Brom drew and then Brentford won at Fulham. So it's not over yet, but Leeds and West Brom have still got a chance to maybe get back to it this weekend and there's two big games coming up which we'll touch on in a moment Um, but I did want to mention as well Derby County won at the weekend and back in February we were at Pride Park for a UEFA Youth League game and in the Derby team on that day was 18 year old Louis Sibley Um, he's now started two games for Derby one before the break and now one at the weekend and he scored four goals a hat-trick against Millwall Harry how far can Sibley go that's the thing if Derby
1: I think Derby have got a very good but outside chance of getting playoffs this season if they don't get for work this season or next he's gonna he's gonna be off because at his age he's been very he's been very very impressive he looks natural in his role in, a, in the Derby side so yeah, pre- Premier League easily, top six, maybe in five years' time, you never know.
3: Typical. As soon as a young English player does something good. <laughs> all over him. <laughs> I think Yeah, he's been great in the two those two games of the senior team, we've seen him, but it's still it's still too early for me to He just need needs minutes. One. He needs yeah.
1: minutes in the next season don't go I wouldn't say go now. Because if he goes yeah. to a Premier League side, he'll pro- probably be on the bench or in the under twenty three. So for me, the next two seasons, he's got to get those 35-plus appearances. Just no. get that first-team football, get the goals, get the assists, and actually prove that you're a, a consistent player rather
2: than a flash in the pan.
3: Bring no doubt he'll have a nice, juicy contract waiting for him at the end of the season from Derby. I,
2: I suppose as well the encouraging signs are that... You know where he picked off that goal against Blackburn was a phenomenal effort um, before the break, and the yeah as I said the um, the promise that he shows to go to pick up where he left off after that layoff um, <clears throat> was fantastic. It didn't look like it, it'd been a break in terms of how Sibley played. Um, all three goals were clinical finishes, and you'd expect that from like more of a opponent striker rather than a centre attacking midfielder that's eighteen and only just broke onto the scene. And I think the track record of, you know, Jaden Bogle, uh, Max Bird and Jason Knight, um, all three of them um coming through in recent seasons and becoming key parts is gonna be you know, it's gonna be a massive cons- confidence boost for uh, Louis Siblet and probably players like Morgan Whitaker and um you know, uh, I think his name's Erin Cashin in the in the under eighteens that we saw and especially they they've had a fantastic uh running in the uh is it the under eight under eighteens Champions League or what what yeah
3: what the for you. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So that one. That that one. <laughs> um they've had a fantastic run and, you know, unfortunately got knocked out and uh, Brad covered it didn't he, in Austria but They've had a great run. It's all confidence at the minute. And next season, even if if Derby don't get playoffs, which I don't think they will this year, next season, if Koku can keep the attitude and the momentum there, then we could be seeing a very dangerous Derby County side next season. But Harry did
0: mention there about Derby's playoff hopes. And you would have to say that they have a very good chance. The playoff picture in the Championship is wide open, the Rams are 12th in the league. But incredibly they're only three points off sixth spot. There are so many teams in that mix. Um, I wouldn't want to predict it and I'd I i do not think we should to be honest. Nah, I think we'll, embarrass, we'll end up
3: embarrassing ourselves. Yeah, well, just, there is everyone, some... everyone's
2: just waiting for Sheffield Wednesday now to you know, get that eight point gap closed and come back into the picture. <laughs> I'm just disappointed yeah. that we didn't get to Everyone, be on Saturday. Everyone <laughs>
0: So there is so much <laughs> still to be played. So we're not going to do predictions today. We will now have a look quickly at the relegation battle down there. Um, there was a big game on Saturday, which we did mention last week. Hull against Charlton. Charlton um, having to go without their top scorer, Lyle Taylor. Um, but they seem to cope pretty well and
2: got a 1-0 win, Evan. Yeah, it's it's a tale of two contrasting sides. Uh, and as we mentioned last year, uh, last week the derby of the players not signing contracts, and out of both of them, like I said last week, I'd back Charlton rather than Hull, and this is why, Charl- Hull um, conceded courtesy of George Long's. Uh, I, I don't want to call pin it on George Long, but he did come to try and catch it and just fluffed it, uh, allowing um, Jason Pierce to score. His his name just like completely. Blanked from my mind there, but um, Charlton I think Hull's in a very bad position at the minute. We've got the Allen owners. That's just one uh, podcast episode in itself at the minute. But <laughs> yeah. uh, the, the kind of censorship of um the Athletic and well the censorship of Hull Live and then the criticism of the Athletic and it seems like it's a very toxic place to play at the minute. And out of everyone, like we said last week, I can see Hull going down. Um, And it doesn't buy them well, as well, that Luton picked up a very, very good point against Preston and Barnsley beat QPR. So, especially for one relegation candidate that we will talk about in a minute with a new manager, uh, I presume, I can't see. I can't, I can't see Hull getting out of it at the minute unless a miracle happens. Grant McCann needs something up his sleeve to get them out of the rut that they are in.
0: Yeah, um, and we will move on now to Middlesbrough. You mentioned there with Hull, like you said, the local press being banned is never going to be a good thing, I don't think. And there's been a lot of national journalists i think i saw henry winter yesterday jumping to the defense of one of the hull writers saying they write with you know balance and they're fair so to do
3: that is pretty surely the local favor of anyone it's going to be you know the nicest really you would think so (laughs) that's that's their team
2: to as well as journalists who wants to read news that have been filtered for pr we want it we want integrity we want the news story. You want yeah, you want the truth. You don't want to be, you know, like if 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 my if like we Wednesday at the minute, uh, and if we were in the position Hall were, I wouldn't be expecting the Sheffield Star saying, "Oh look how good Sheffield Wednesday might be at the minute." Look at them ten passes that we did in that goal. <laughs> uh, you you want to know what's happening. I don't want the Sheffield Star or Yorkshire Live not not discussing yeah. the current court case that's going on at, uh, at Wednesday with the points deduction. I want to know what's happening and the censorship of that is, is kind of it's a very bold statement but it's like germany in in 1940 when you know the very censorship of news oh. that that's that, that's why that certainly what oh, that's, yeah. <laughs>
3: <That's> some comparison
0: <laughs> so middlesbrough another team down at the bottom um, lost 3-0 to swansea at the weekend um if we before we mention the big news about the managerial change, we won't say his name yet. If you haven't seen it, we won't say his <laughs> name. Um, Swansea, Devon, I know you wanted to talk about Rian Brewster, the Liverpool loney who impressed on Saturday.
2: I, I didn't know you was reading my notes there, George. Are you, are you in? But um, Yeah, Rian Brewster looked sharp again. Uh, he just He just looks like a talented youngster, that... Uh, he just needs it, it. it's all about the correct choices at the minute. Does he, if he goes on one too many loan spells, will he end up like Bud uh, Ben Woodburn, uh, a bit of a flash in the pan kind of player, or or will he come, become um a key player at Liverpool? Probably not in the sun eleven, but from the bench, um, his chances might have been boosted with Werner going to Chelsea. You know, will Klopp get him in next season and let him play, or? I'd probably be in favour of Brewster going to someone like Southampton or um, any other mid-table Premier League sides, uh, maybe maybe Palace, and you know, helping that front of three if Zaha doesn't kick off. Um, but um, I I, th- I think the uh, yeah the uh, future is bright for Brewster, who did win that uh, World Cup in the 117 Championships.
0: Yeah, and uh, Middlesbrough, this defeat. Leaves them just above the drop zone, but only on goal difference above Hull. So they've decided to get rid of Jonathan Woodgate, who was a player for them and a very good Bye, player Murray. for them in the past. Mm. And they have replaced him with none other than Neil Warnock. Harry, what were your immediate thoughts when you heard this news?
1: Uh, not not shock, because I think Woodgate, no offence to the lads, but I think he, he, over, he overstays there, I must say. Is, they've got a good base squad, but I think now they're, they're probably going to stay up as long as they work hard. Neil Warnock is professional at keeping clubs up, but I think they're just outside the relegation zone. Who have they got next? They've got Stoke and Hull, Stoke Hull and QPR. So, winnable fixtures there, winnable fixtures with teams around them, especially the latter two. So, yeah, I, I can see I can see them staying up now, especially with the, the strike partnership of Fletcher and um, Asombalonga. They haven't... I think they both started on the bench last game, so he tried to say a bit of a message. But yeah, those two up front, dangerous too. if you've got them both firing.
0: Devon, um, Middlesbrough got rid of Tony Pulis, who is known for his very defensive (laughs) style and very physical style. And they got in Jonathan Woodgate to kind of... I'm guessing they got him in to try and make their football more attractive. But now Steve Gibson has... uh, retracted uh, and he's uh, <laughs> gone and got Warnock in. Um, I'm trying to think of a question now, but um, do you think Warnock is the man to kind of give these group of players the reality check that they need and remind them of the situation that they're in?
2: <laughs> it, it will take someone like Neil Warnock to say how it is. Um as most Sheffielders do. Uh, I think it's probably the best appointment out there at the minute because there's, there's absolutely no good managers out there. Who are they going to get in? And uh, I'm going to say, yeah, Pardew, is he going to come in and ruin the club with, with Neil Warnock? It's kind of like a safety net where as if they, because he probably will keep them up. um, And then next season, he'll probably look to do what he did similarly with Cardiff and, you know, make them a Force next season. But I think Borough have been one of them teams that have come down from the Premier League and have been a bit bit like Wigan. Um, you know, if, even though Wigan didn't bounce back up, but when, when Borough have come down, they've really struggled to, you know, adapt back into life in the championship. You know, like Norwich when Norwich do come down, they're already they're quite quite ready made and have always been a solid kind of um team in the championship. Whereas Borough that they they look completely you know out of it at the minute, and uh, I thought the timing was strange. We've just had a three month layoff, Um we saw with um, Nathan Jones coming back into Luton that they got that the change done earlier It was strange how they waited until the first game to then get rid of Woodgate and get Neil Warnock in because it does seem like it's been a, a a change in the making sort of thing, and I think it it just feels weird that we're still we're in twenty twenty, you know. Lots of weird things have been happening, and the one of the not the weirdest thing that's happened this year is we Neil Warnock going back. So it is a crazy time at the minute.
3: Yeah. <laughs> the and, most, um... most important thing is, will he say this is his last job again, <laughs> <laughs> For like the fifth time in a row?
2: <sighs> as long as, as long as if Chris Wilder does eventually leave Sheffield United, that well Warnock doesn't go back and then make him another a force again. That's that, that'll end happening.
0: I'm not sure he can resist all these jobs, to be honest, Sam. I think he just...
3: Oh, he's had about 36 of them. <laughs> it,
2: it is strange how Neil Warnock is <laughs> one of the last managers of that kind of, um, you know, say how it is football managers that has managed to last this long and still be effective. You know, mm. uh, we've seen, uh, you know, like Tony Pulis was in that and is, you know he's not managed to kick off this season... Uh, Harry Harry Redknapp was one of their managers, and he's completely fallen off. Now he's a re- reality TV star, pretty much. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so, to be fair, if if Neil Warnock cr- came out with a show like, I'd definitely watch it. That'd be <laughs> hilarious. I think
1: put him in the jungle,
3: the can You
2: imagine? <laughs> I think I, I think Harry Redknapp.
3: That's that's the English manager to win a top trophy.
2: Yeah, but let's be real, he's not a. Uh... It is not pulling up any trees anytime soon, and that that spell at Birmingham was a nightmare.
0: <laughs> so um, I thought Neil Warnock being appointed the big news of the week. It's only right that um, we do the quiz on the man himself. So get your notepads ready. Um, Devon's self promoting again. So he's got right I'm Devon.
2: Not self promoting. Promoting the channel.
0: Yes, this is the 16th. <laughs> Round of the quiz because we obviously carried it over from doing our radio show and it is all about Neil Warnock. So five questions. Let's do this. Come on, okay. Come. Question number one is I think if, if you if you've seen this, then you will definitely know it. How many times has Warnock won promotion as a manager? Oh God.
1: What's the Premier that... League? Just in general, are we talking? Are we talking no, no, the general promotions? All
0: the promotions he's had, not oh. not just oh. the Premier League ones. And I, I should say that he holds the record for the most in English football. So that might help you.
3: It's gas season, baby. <laughs> oh, That's mm. nope. so many
2: clubs. I'm stuck on two numbers.
3: probably had one like Gainsborough, I meant.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm going to move on. Devin, get your answer down. Question number two. In August 2014, Warnock returned to Crystal Palace for his second spell as manager
3: there. But who did he replace? Um, Crystal Palace. What year was it? 2014. 2014.
0: Nice.
2: Ooh, nah. mm. Harry's pretending that he doesn't know. Oh, no, for me, no.
1: for, me no, for me it's one of two. And normally when I say that it's one oh, option. That always, it's yeah, exactly.
0: I about. Okay, question number <laughs> 3. Um now this one this one might be might be easier for one person than uh, the rest of you, but Warnock has managed five different Yorkshire clubs. During his managerial career, how many can you name? There are, f- there are five points available. Um, oh my God. He's days. managed five different Yorkshire clubs. Okay. How many can you name?
2: You said that. I could only name three.
0: There are definitely I five. I went, through, I went through last night and. uh Definitely. See I'm
1: not very good at geography
3: that's my oh. issue so I've only got
2: two I've got one at the moment <laughs> but that's the uh, that's the obvious one because I've are genuinely you, got... did I, Are these league clubs or is there some non-league in there?
0: Um, one of them I believe isn't well no I know that they're not a league club not a football league club anymore but I think they were even in Yorkshire
1: yeah,
2: this last—he's
1: going to be making some
0: ground on me here, because I've I've only got one. Okay, N- gotcha. number four, Harry, you can you can add to it if some come to you. Um, who did Warnock's Cardiff draw 0-0 with on the final day of the 2017 to 18 season to seal promotion to the Premier League? It was on the final day. they, they invaded the pitch. Afterwards, nil-nil nil draw. Time. Can you remember watching it? So, who were they playing?
2: When you, when you speak of nil nils, all I can think about is that what written um, I think it was nil-nil when uh, when Wolves and Cardiff met, and we had that iconic moment of uh, Neil Warwick telling uh, Nuno to uh, back off. In a... I think I
0: think Wolves won one-nil that night. I've got it a feeling. I think Neves Neves scored a free kick. He did, I and then, and then Ruddy Ruddy saved a penalty, if I remember rightly.
2: I remember Gary Medine missing.
0: Uh. <laughs> so yeah, take take a punt at that. No. And yeah. then question number five. He mentions this woman in a lot of interviews. What is Neil Warnock's wife's first name? <laughs>
2: Oh no! Oh.
0: I, the, honestly, the, he he has he has mentioned his wife in so many interviews down the years. Um, maybe maybe it's difficult to remember, but I thought I'd have that one in there for a bit of fun. <laughs> admittedly, admittedly, maybe it's not general knowledge. But who said that? It was, an, general- it was an
3: old old woman name.
0: Okay, I'm going to go through these now and get some answers. How many times has Warnock won promotion as manager? I'll start with Harry on this one. I've got eight. Harry's gone with eight. Sam? Seven. Sam said seven. Um, I'll be way off here then. I said uh, five. You said five. Um, Harry, you've been looking... Unsure on some of these answers. Oh, but don't made a it, very yeah. good start here. It is eight it's times. Getting <laughs> <And> it's, <promoted. laughs> it's
3: getting ridiculous now. getting ridiculous.
0: Question so awesome. number two. In August 2014, he returned to Crystal Palace for his second spell as manager. Who did he replace? Devon, I'll start with you.
2: Uh, I've got um, the mighty Mariner manager. Uh, Ian Holloway.
0: You've gone with Ooh.
2: Ian Holloway, Sam?
3: I thought Ian, but I went Pewless.
0: You went with Tony Pulis and Harry? I went Pardew. Ooh, Alan, three, the main man Pardew. three different. Pulis, Pulis was the second option.
1: So. Uh,
2: Pardew was later
0: because the. Yeah. Uh, I, I think know. Pardew I was... replaced Warnock when he left. Uh, Warnock first. replaced Tony Pulis. Yes. <laughs> no!
3: He was, oh. man, he was manager when they drew Liverpool. Wasn't Chris Ball, yeah, yeah,
0: absolutely. Um And he also he won the Premier League Manager of the Year three months before leaving. Wow. Question number three: Warnock has managed five different Yorkshire clubs during his managerial career. How many of them? can you name so you don't have to well you can show your papers but just read out the ones that you've got starting with you Sam
3: uh Sheffield United Leeds and Gainsborough because I knew you managed them
0: but uh you've gone with those three
2: Devon what have you gone with well Gainsborough are uh, north nottinghamshire i think uh oh. but i've gone with so for definite, I think Sheffield United, Leeds. I've got Chesterfield, but I think that's North Derbyshire, but I feel like you've written it down as Chesterfield, as, as Yorkshire. And then I've got Bradford and Barnsley. So to recap, Chesterfield, Sheffield United, Leeds United, Bradford and Barnsley.
0: Okay, those are your five. Harry, how many answers have you got for this one?
2: Uh I've I've
1: put five just because you said there's a a maximum of five points available, so I put five and I just put teams in the area ish. So, Sheffield United, Rotherham, Barnsley, York City. Oh no,
3: Rotherham. He did. He did. Okay.
0: I can tell you if I. I Damn it! I've got a feeling that um, Harry's actually scored the highest (laughs) on.
3: Of course he has.
0: Okay, so <laughs> first of all, if I go through the one, G- Gainsborough, because I checked this, Gainsborough is in Lincolnshire. Damn yeah. it. Chesterfield, I don't think he managed, Evan. I don't think he did. The fi- one- five, the five right. Yorkshire clubs he managed are Scarborough, Scarborough. Huddersfield Town, did. Sheffield Ooh. United, Leeds United, and Rotherham United. Damn it.
2: Uh, I forgot about Connor's going to kill me I forgot about Rother. I should
0: have just
3: guessed two others
0: <laughs> okay so question number four who did Warnock's Cardiff draw nil-nil with on the final day of the 2017-18 season to seal their promotion to the top flight the Premier League Harry what have you gone with for this I have no idea so I went Stoke City You've gone with Stoke Sam Leeds, Leeds, and Devon, also Leeds, went with Leeds as well. I'm afraid none of you are correct, it was in fact Reading.
3: Uh, Quite uh, quite different. I was never going to pick them.
0: Wolves went up as champions, as Devon mentioned. Um, and question number five let's see if you can remember him saying this name in interviews. What is Neil Warnock's wife's first name? Sam, I'll start with you. I said Margaret. You said Margaret. An old woman
1: Never.
2: name. Uh, I feel like... Sorry for you... the Margaret's uh, listening. <laughs> <What's> your, uh... <laughs> I, I'm pretty, I feel like I've heard him mention D a few times, so I just picked a random name starting with D. Dorian. <laughs> Okay. Marion. And Harry That's, obscure. No, that's...
3: <laughs> that's very obscure. Oh.
1: I I I meant to put Barbara, but I put Barbara by accident, but that is uh Barbara. I've got no I am just trying to think of what new like
3: likely names Barbara God, likely, likely
0: names Neil
3: Warner. It is, it's, it's if it's Barbara, it's I'm retiring Bardera. I'm retiring from this podcast.
0: Okay. The name is in fact Sharon. Nah.
2: No, he, he
0: knows Devin knows he's heard it. He's, he's heard common, it say, Sharon.
2: No, honestly, I went to put Sharon down. I went, Wait, isn't that Harry Redknapp's wife? and then just went with some else. Damn it, I think, I think
0: Sandra. No! Harry Sandra
3: yeah, Sandra, yeah,
2: that's it. Oh, uh, damn it,
3: Harry it is, Redknapp's it is, done
2: me a few times on this. it
0: is indeed Sharon. Um, so that is the end of this week's and um, Harry looked. Unsure a few of those questions. He's actually won this round. Um got four, four points lads.
1: That's, that's what that's should what exactly surprised. what
2: we said. We said, look at him, he knows the app he's going, oh, oh No, no, it was the uh Padre one that I didn't know.
1: it's either Padre or Pew and I put Padre Padre
2: Pad Alan. I put Alan as <laughs> my answer. Um, to be fair, earlier I called him Andrew Pardrew, nearly. So. <laughs> well
3: done, Harry. Well done. So, yeah,
0: that, that is the end of this week's quiz. Okay. Harry now has a five-point lead um, ahead of Sam and an eight-point lead over Devon. So, uh-huh. pretty clear cut there. Um, with that, that is the end of anymore. this week's podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it. Um, it's been really good to actually talk about some football actually taking place rather than news. I've really enjoyed that. Um, but have a good weekend. There's lots of good stuff happening. There's the FA Cup quarterfinals, four of those, of course. Um, Norwich are going to beat Man United in that and uh, get European football for next year. Um, um, <laughs> who go on, George. Uh, I, I who just, knows? It's... <laughs> Magic
2: Premier of the Cup. League,
0: in the Premier League, That's it's still a a thing. West Midlands derby. Villa against Wolves and there's some big games in the championship too. Brentford against West Brom, Leeds against Fulham and Middlesbrough go to Stoke in Warnock's first game. But enjoy those games. Enjoy the FA Cup um, and have a good week and we will see you for episode number 10. See you next
2: time. 10 weeks of this podcast. <laughs>
0: yeah. Bye. Bye.